0: You're listening to a podcast from the Trinity Longroom Hub Arts and Humanities Research Institute. Hi, good afternoon everybody. Um, delighted to see you all here uh, for this fellow and focus session. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name's is Aileen Douglas. I teach uh, in uh, the School of English, um, mainly 18th century material, and I'm the director of research there. Um, and. Uh, the fellow uh, in focus today is uh, Susan Manley from the University of St. Andrews. By the way, I'm, we, we've taken a split on the use of the microphones, so I'm going to try and do without, and Susan is going to go with, and then we can poll the audience halfway <laughs> through and see whether it's working or not. Can everyone hear me right now? Yes. Brilliant. Okay. So um, Susan is a specialist in 18th and 19th century uh, writings, both Irish literature and uh, English uh, literature. Um, and she's among her publications are a monograph on language, Custom, and Nation uh, in the 1790s. She's edited um, several of Mariah Edgeworth's uh, texts uh, for different uh, publishers. Uh, including uh, Practical Education and Harrington. Um, and she's also the author of a series of really um, incisive, substantial, and influential uh, journal articles um, on uh, topics uh, related to her research, including Edgeworth. But she's here in the Long Room Hub. Uh, she's completing a political uh, biography of Edgeworth. Um, And while uh, here, she's working specifically on Edgeworth's attitudes to West Indian uh, slavery as these are manifested uh, not only in her um, imaginative or creative works to employ a distinction I don't really like to employ, but also um, in her correspondence. So different kinds of, of writings. Um, so we're going to talk um, for a while and then I hope um, there'll be time for uh, questions and uh, responses uh, from people who are here. Uh, so I might sit down now and <laughs> we'll see how we go. So uh, Susan, you're very welcome. I feel I should be on television actually, <laughs> actually so sort of in this kind of seat. Um, so as we've just had a very quick run-through there of uh, some of your uh, publications, and you've been engaged in very different kinds of academic work: uh, monographs, editions, journal articles. And now you're just completing this biography. Um, so I suppose a question I have is, uh, is there anything you know distinctive about the writing of biography? Um, that struck you during this process um,
1: that, that you'd like to comment on? Um, yeah, I'm, I, I suppose that um, the first thing that uh, about, about kind of approaching the political biography was that I've never written a biography before. Um, and for me, that was quite a big mental obstacle. And it, it really took me quite a long time. And I still sometimes have moments of panic about doing it, uh, to be honest. I mean, my training is in analytical writing um, and, you, you know, where you account for everything that you say. Or you can you can footnote everything. In a biography, you do sometimes have to make inferences, um, leaps of imagination, um, and engage your, I guess you have to engage your emotional intelligence as well. I mean, I think I do that, actually, in my critical writing too, but in a biography, you're certainly called upon to do that. Um, so the form was really uh, quite a difficult challenge. It was it was something I really wrestled with, and it took me quite a long time to figure out how I was going to approach it to begin with. I, I thought, well, she writes really political um, work in her fiction and non-fiction, um, and, um, and then looking at letters, perhaps there's going to be some more of that, and I'll find out a bit more about what she really thought, Um, and actually when I looked at letters, one of the the things that was really difficult about them was, she very rarely talks about politics um, directly, Um, she does a bit more in her later correspondence, but it was really difficult to find the material that I hoped to find, so to be real, I thought, oh, it's all going to, have to be about her work then. I mean, I can't, I can't write anything about her actual life. But actually, as the process has gone on, I've discovered much, much more about her relationships, her friendships, and, and actually how much is in the correspondences in the form of um, kind of exchanges of ideas um, and kind of thinking about material uh, and thinking about getting it out there into the public realm and actually thinking about public writing and public presence um, as a writer, um, so there was kind of much more of that than than I expected, which I, which I was which I was really happy about, um, and it's led me to some of the what I think are the discoveries of the of the biography in terms of of some of those uh, significant relationships through which she thought she could act in the world um, in a way that you know, you might think a, a woman um, who is writing between 1795 and uh, well, most of the work between 1795 795 and 1820, you would think, you know, a woman of that period just can't have a political life. So that was one of the other things that I was, that I was wrestling with. So specifically, the, the, the fact of being a political biography was, uh, was difficult. And then the other big problem um, that I found in writing the biography was dealing with the archive. The archive is massive and scattered. Um, she wrote a lot of letters. Um, in, a letter, in a letter that she writes in 1833, she talks about spending one and a half hours a day writing letters. So, you know, and people kept the letters, particularly after she became known, which was really quite early in her writing career, um, by 1798. So um, the, the fact that people kept the letters, um, and a lot of them have survived up to the present moment, means that there was a lot of material, potential material, to deal with. Um, so I suppose there's there's a challenge another I guess challenge that I should say is that um, I think particularly to begin with it really irked me um, that I didn't like her politics very much (laughs) Um, and that I felt out of sympathy in some way and I thought if only I was writing about Mary Wollstonecraft you know someone I can actually get behind Um, (laughs) but uh, Actually, the more I've gone on again, the more I sort of have come to a certain respect. Even if I don't, even if there are some things that she says that I really still don't like. Um, So I suppose I've had to expand my empathic boundaries to a certain extent, which I don't think is a bad thing um, to do. Um, And I suppose, yeah, the other opportunities of writing biography, I suppose it is actually, you know, the flip side of... Uh, how on earth do you write a biography when you've never written a biography before is, oh, this is a, a creative opportunity, you know, it's an opportunity to actually um, to try, to try my hand at telling a story in some ways, um, as well as uh, an argument, and how much does a, is a story an argument, how much is an argument a story, so exploring those sorts of, you know, uh, overlaps has been sort of really interesting, um, interesting for me. Um, yeah I think that's probably yeah, <laughs> that's yeah i
0: mean I think in some ways you know I'm, I'm very interested in your you know you're talking about leaving you know leaving the skill set that you're very comfortable with and and then you know moving into kind of challenging territory um, but also i mean one of the things I was wondering about was um, how your sense of edgeworth might have changed you know in the writing of the biography which you've you know, begun to, to answer there, and related to that, um, you know, the last biography of Edgeworth is Marilyn Butler's, nearly 50 years old now, still an absolutely, um, you know, necessary um, work, but, but things do move on, and I, I'm wondering how your Edgeworth, th- this projection that was one of the challenges of, of writing, um, might be different from
1: Butler's Edgeworth. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I suppose I should say a certain thing about anxiety of influence. Um, as regards Marilyn Butler, she was my thesis supervisor. <laughs> so, so um, and she used to, you know, take me down to her kitchen and give me cheese on toast when I arrived, <laughs> a very hungry um, PhD student after a long bus journey to see her for supervision. So, um, I have this sense of of. Um, real sort of um, personal, I suppose, anxiety Mm -hmm. that that began, at least I I began with that feeling of personal anxiety and I I don't think my biography will supersede hers, that's for Mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that um, one of the things about about Butler's biography is, as her name suggests, she was part, actually, of the Edgeworth clan by marriage. Mm -hmm. Um, So, um, in fact, my copy of her biography of Edgeworth uh, is inscribed um, uh, to uh, Aunt Ruth, I hope that my Mariah is indeed your Aunt Mariah. Um, so she's writing there to an older um, relative within the Edgeworth clan uh, who actually remembered <laughs> Mariah Edgeworth. So um, so that kind of sense, of she, she, she clearly had a sort of sense of anxiety about the biography that she was writing and representing Edgeworth. Um, the, the kind of Edgeworth that, that she represents is very much a family uh, person. Um, so she writes a great deal about the whole family in that, in that biography, which is accurate and you know, I- important because Edgeworth did uh, kind of pass everything, sort of a, lot of, a lot of what she wrote around the family, um, and so they did have a lot of input. Um, and then, of course, you know, they've got the question of her father, um, it's impossible, actually, to write Burkery of Edgeworth without writing quite a lot about Richard Lovell Edgeworth, because um, some of you will know this. Um, she regards herself as um, his partner in some ways, um, his his kind of intellectual and writing partner, um, and his politics clearly influenced hers. Um, so, so I, I have to kind of uh, sort of. Keep, keep that in there um, but one the thing that, Mariah, that um, Marilyn Buck was really doing in her biography of Mariah Edgeworth was uh, she was really tracing uh, the writing of the works that's something that she does in detail and that's incredibly useful um, but she wasn't really writing a political biography um, so my biography I think differs yeah. in that it's more of um, a, uh, an intellectual uh, biography one in which I'm looking at sources of her ideas in much more detail than Marilyn was, was inclined to do. Um, and um, I think I say she touches on, on some aspects of, of her life, uh, which I have expanded on uh, kind of a lot. So, um, you know, certain collaborations outside the family, she touches on, um, but I found out a lot more about those, I, and I, I will say a lot more about those in, in my book. Um, I think the other thing that's changed is um, Ireland. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, Marilyn's uh, biography emerged in the late 1970s. Ireland was a really different place. Um, And um, I've been able to benefit from all of the work of the last, well, at least 25 years, which have really sort of transformed um, the the present sense of what Ireland is um, and also has transformed... Um, our, and expanded our sense of how people imagined Ireland's future might be in the late 18th century, in no, the 19th century. Um, so lines which seemed much more solid, um, I mean there are lots of ways in which one can talk about this, um, you know, sort of in in the late 70s, you know, approaches would would be completely different, I think, because of the of the way in which that debate has moved on,
0: mm, mm. yeah. I mean, certainly, I think Ireland is much more prominent um, in, you know, your understandings of Edgeworth um, than they perhaps were in Butler's, where Ireland is 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 there, but it's it's more recessed, if you like, and um, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so, so staying with the politics and, and going back to what you were saying about the correspondence and the discoveries um, uh, in, in this biography, um, you were talking on Wednesday morning, for those of you who were at the coffee morning uh, here, about um, Edgeworth and West Indian slavery um, and about your own... <coughs> Kind of negotiation of that ethically as a biographer, and maybe now you could sort of rehearse you know the discovery, the issues um, uh, for this audience and say a little bit about your kind of ethical sense of that as a biographer mm. um. Well, I yes, mean, it might be hard to do that succinctly, but yeah. just to kind of give it, yeah give it a sense, um,
1: I'll, I'll try to do that. Um, I, I, what I was really outlining on, on Wednesday was um, sort of really sort of how how what I'm currently working on with regard to thinking about her and in particular Jamaica um, is um, it comes out of this kind of. Um, one of the things that I've been working with in the political biography which is the way in which she is a really networked writer and a writer who who wants to kind of of connect with other people um, and um, and really kind of uh, work through those uh, relationships um, to actually have a real kind of uh, political agency um, and effect. uh, when it comes to the whole kind of question of um, slavery, uh, the way that she approaches it is clearly um, impinged upon by the fact that she was herself the uh, owner, of, um, well, a more, sort of, you know, as the kind of daughter of the owner um, of an estate. So she was the manager um, of an estate. She was well aware of um, debates about. Um, political slavery in Ireland, we might call it that. Um, that is, the kind of lack of a representative uh, presence um, at the kind of seat of power for many Irish people. Uh, and she was aware, and she was with sort of great Byron Drennan, for instance, and in his uh, his book, Letters of an Irish Helot, uh, where she used that metaphor of slavery. Uh, but when it came to uh, the West Indies, clearly she was, um, she was seeing that in... A different light um, as she was thinking about real conditions for people who are really um, uh, treated as property. Um, and um, she was she was she was kind of engaged with that question from 1992. Um, happens to be the time when she was in Bristol, uh, a, a major um, slave port. Um, and um, she continues to be engaged with the question, uh, to read about it, to talk about it in letters um, well into the 1830s. The the thing I'm actually working on is less to do with um, the kind of discussions that she has in letters about it with, with other people and the way in which she places it Um, in relationship to debates about uh, democracy and political representation, um, it's more to do with, um, again, this kind of um, position of power that she had herself um, as a landowner. So the material that I'm looking at in particular for the project I'm working on right now um, is uh, to do with some um, interventions that she made um, on behalf of uh, people that she knew um, who worked on the estate, um, I, I don't want to kind of go into too much detail about that, about that correspondence exactly. Um, but what I will say is that it does, I think, really, to me, it compromises her in a really serious way, ethically. What she does um, actually. Uh, in the full knowledge of what slavery meant um, in Jamaica, and she, was, she knew absolutely what it meant. She takes certain actions in those interventions which are highly problematic. Um, so what I'm kind of discovering here is a kind of a contradiction, I suppose, between what's more out there, um, what she will say to other people, uh, what she will kind of put into imaginative fiction which did I think really question um, the ethics of slavery um, and the politics of slavery um, but she's got a kind of a there's a there's a mismatch which I, which I'm exploring and the silence that I'm exploring um, that's obviously quite a current uh, mm-hmm. debate um, and um, I suppose, in terms of the ethics of writing about it, um, I suppose that I, 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 we were talking about this the yeah. other day. Um, I want to write this, I want to be very careful. It's, it's a really uh, delicate and important piece of work, um, I think. Um, and it could have, I suppose, real repercussions, these mm. things do, rightly, of course. Yeah. Um, is, is that okay? Is that yeah, that's, that? That's, that's
0: fine. Um, I mean, I think, you know, what you're pointing to is the, the absolute complexity of this whole issue and the necessity of being um, complete, in a way, uh, when one is addressing it. Um, so we'll look forward to the biography when all of this can be laid out uh, in a way that will enable people to engage in detail um, with the questions um, that you're you're addressing um, and the nature of her interventions and so on. Um, I suppose we might just mention um, that you know there is no as you've, you've said yourself. I mean, there is no evidence that the Edgeworths were involved in, in slave ownership um, at all. Um, but maybe, you know, when, when you, you sort of mentioned there her imaginative um, works, um, and I, I'd like to ask you um, about uh, moving away maybe from research and into teaching. Mm-hmm. One of um, uh, Edgeworth's stories um, in popular tales, 1804, the Grateful Negro, um, set um, in the West Indies, um, a very problematic um, uh, story. Uh, even the title causes problems. Um, and you know, I've just taught this material uh, myself last semester, um, and I'm just wondering, as a as a teacher, as someone who's you know, researching this area, how, how that might come together for you, how you deal with it, how you negotiate it. Um, do you even articulate the title um, of the story? Do you preface it? Um, do you want to...?
1: Um, I, sp- I mean, it's, it, it is, um, I think, a really problematic text um, to, uh, to, to think about and teach. Um, and, um, I, I, I think, I think one of the things about it is I, um, I don't teach it to undergraduates. Mm. Um, I teach it to master students. Yeah, that's, yeah. And I, and I think that the reason for that is partly because it is so troubling. Um, at, an artifact as a an historical artifact. Um, it, it captures a moment uh, which you know now feels particularly uh, sort of um, uh, fraught and, and disturbing. Um, and I suppose I approach it the way that I I do I do tend to approach uh, sort of uh, the literature that I teach, which is um, I historicise it. Mm. So, I invite students to read other texts written at uh, roughly the same time Um, and those include uh, sort of histories of the West Indies um, and um, anti-slavery writing. Um, So I try to kind of uh, create a a, a more of a kind of sense of the contemporary debate. and so, for instance, one of the things that I would put alongside that story is um, Aiken, John Aiken's um, wonderful short piece, Master and Slave, mm-hmm. which interrogates this whole question of gratitude mm-hmm. um, and, and freedom. So, the, the, the kind of idea of um, uh, in, in Edgar's tale, um, she investigates um, using uh, two different Um, plantation owners the question of uh, whether freedom is absolute or relative. (laughs) Um, And so she's kind of uh, taking one uh, estate owner who is negligent, who takes no interest in the management of his estate and who permits um, the worst um, abuses to take place without attempting to uh, to, to stop them um, or to influence the running of the estate in any direct way other than by taking all the wealth that it produces. And the other owner who um, is more engaged, who actually speaks to uh, the people who are his enslaved workers um, and who mm. attempts to ameliorate the conditions, but also who has conversations with the other guy trying to get him to um to start to interrogate what it is that, that they're both doing um, and the tale then kind of looks at an uprising um, and it represents uh, the enslaved people on these two estates talking to each other um, about um, the about how they're going to go about the 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 uprising um, and in the case of one of them whether they should do it at all um, and um, the tale kind of ends with um, the guy who has been the, sort of the, the negligent and, and the most abusive owner uh, being uh, losing everything he has, um, and uh, his agent um, is, um, I think he's killed, I think he's burnt to death, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it has. It, I mean, it's kind of. It's. A, I think it's a, one of the things that that, that interests me about the, the tale is that um, Edgeworth does represent those conversations between enslaved people, um, and um, they are um, highly uh, political um, and um, and sort of. There's much, much more. Of those conversations than there is conversations between the two planters. So I, I kind of I, I, I like, if I can, to get mm-hmm. the students to think about the structure of the tale, think about what questions are raised and whether they're answered, thinking about the ending of the tale and thinking about the footnoting of the tale. She does footnote her own fiction a lot. I said this on Wednesday. Um Because she wants her readers also to stop um, uh, kind of closing their minds to actually kind of to keep asking questions. Um, so her fiction is always kind of really attempting to open things in this way and in a sense not to resolve things mm-hmm. that haven't yet been resolved in, rea- in you know the real world. Um, so. I don't know if that really answers That's that's a lot of, of kind of different ways of talking about Well, I asked stuff. you for your entire <laughs> lesson plan, so <laughs> I suppose you
0: know, perhaps it could have been a more uh, pointed question might have been uh, helpful. Yeah, I mean, I suppose that, um, you know, I, I think perhaps you're, I think I'm sympathetic to Edgeworth, but I think perhaps you're more sympathetic um, um, in that, you know, I do think that there is, you know, this criticism that's made of her that she thinks all places in the world are the same, you know, Ireland, Jamaica, um, and doesn't recognise, you know, the distinctiveness of slavery, that it's just not the same as being, a you know, tenant farmer in, in Ireland or whatever. And... You know, I suppose I would probably give that criticism a bit more weight than I think maybe you do. Um, but you know, I mean, this is a question that readers of Edgeworth kind of struggle with, and, and they sort of come down on different positions. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think, you um, I mean, I'd be interested to hear what people might ask about that. Um, I don't know, we have a little bit more time left for questions, and I suppose having sort of um, perhaps been a little unsympathetic to Edwards just now, um, I might say, um, talk to you a little bit about Harrington, um, this novel that she uh, published in 1817. I think that, you know, you've edited Harrington, um, a great edition. I actually have a physical copy of Susan's edition here. always like a bit of show and tell. Um, I, I think the genesis of Harrington is one of the most interesting um, in all of, you know, sort of literary genesis, um, whatever the plural of that is, um, that I've come across. And, you know, um, Edgeworth... Um, received a letter uh, in 1815 from uh, an American woman, Rachel Lazarus Mordecai, as she became, um, full of respect and admiration, but basically saying how painful it was that Edgeworth had such anti-Semitic characters in some of her writing. And Edgeworth essentially writes Harrington by way of atonement and reparation. can you, would you like to just say a little bit about your approach to that work and the editing of it, um, the, the, uh, the kind of sense of, you know, that seems to me quite an extraordinary thing to write a work and to say I'm writing this as an act of
1: atonement, uh, quite, quite extraordinary. Um, yeah I mean she actually quotes from Rachel Mordecai, Mordecai Lazarus's um, letter to her um, uh, and the um, really the, the the disappointment that mm-hmm. that Rachel Mordecai Lazarus ex- expressed to her in those about her anti-semitic stereotypes um, she she publishes it you know <laughs> she publishes the criticism as part mm-hmm. of the fiction um, and um, I mean th- uh, Harrington kind of uh, was the first Edgeworth uh, fiction um, really that I read actually mm. um, because when I was writing my PhD, um, Marilyn Butler kept talking to me about Mariah Edgeworth and um, suggesting that she should be part of the thesis and I didn't accept that as a suggestion <laughs> <laughs> but when I revised, when I revised it and made it into a book um, I did have, mm. I added a Ed chapter Edgworth? on Edgeworth, oh, Yeah, yes, she definitely did get in there. Um, so, um, Harrington was my first kind of point of contact with Edgeworth's writing at all. Uh, i just finished uh, writing my thesis and, um, and Marilyn was, was running an Oxford College at the time and she didn't have time to kind of get on with this edition. Mm. So she said, would you just do, would you have a go at kind of just making a footnote plan? And I read it and, um, and then I looked at the first edition, um, i picked up an 1825 edition a secondhand bookshop, um, and I'd used that, but then I'd gone back to kind of also look at the first edition, to see if there, if there were any differences. Not expecting there to be very much, and there were lots of differences. Um, and um, it it turned out that that um, this was a book that when it was. Uh, looked at again for the first um, complete edition of Edgeworth's works in 1823-5. to five. Um, uh, Edgeworth kind of handed it over to her half-sisters to deal with, and one of them in particular um, took, a, took a kind of red pencil to quite a lot of it and removed uh, quite a lot of the, what was originally in there for, for Edgeworth's purposes, which were these kind of frank, expression, frank anti-Semitic expressions um, she puts into the mouth some of some of the characters because she's dealing with mm. anti-Semitism. The main character is a, a kind of a, 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 an anti-Semite Semite, and it's really a kind of book about um, how he begins to unlearn that. Um, and this kind of this editing, uh, which was clearly... I, I mean, I, I, it's not really clear why that happened. Uh, maybe it was felt to be a bit too kind of um, a, bit, a bit offensive, in, in a, but not in the kind of way that we would recognise, but, but just kind of a bit too um, uh, kind of explicit. Um, and it was thought like, you know, you replaced the word Jew even with um, Israelite, maybe that'd be better. <laughs> I seemed to think that was better. Uh, and what that, what that meant was that the whole tone of the novel changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and I, I, went to, to Marilyn and I said, uh, there is this really big difference between the first edition and the subsequent editions." So and she said, um, oh, I think that you've got to do this edition. Here you are. <laughs> so she just handed that over to me. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, approaching it was, was partly kind of like looking at that, uh, at Edgeworth's decisions and what she was doing in those particular moments um, and what I was also interested by was that she wrote it really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, she wrote it within about two to three months, um, and she was hurrying to, to write mm-hmm. it because her, father, her father's health was failing and she thought he might die before she finished, and she wanted it to be finished, for him, partly. Um, it's partly a, a, a novel about a, a young woman. There is a uh, the, the, the woman that Harrington, the title character, falls in love with, um, it, who is the daughter of this Spanish Jew, um, she has a great feeling of her father. And I think that was a kind of, it was a kind of a letter of filial affection to him as much mm-hmm. as it was um, a, a novel about Antisemitism. Mm-hmm. Um, so she wrote it really quickly, but it is like all of Edgeworth's books full of illusions, so either she'd already read a great deal of, sort of material that went into it, uh, or she very, very quickly got it under her belt. But it is, again, it's an, another of these books, um, as, mo- as they, they mostly are, um, where a, you, you, you've got a kind of surface kind of thing going on, but, but you've also got so much debate going on below the surface In the form of the of the allusions and references.
0: I mean, it really is fascinating to hear you speak there about the difference in the the editions and the difficulty of actually representing. You know, here she is. She's trying to talk about prejudice and you know the problem. How does one become anti-Semitic? Really? I mean, she offers a kind of diagnosis of the central character and yet then edited in such a way as to take the sting out of it. So, yeah. you know, yeah. rendering that effort may be less effective, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so so really, uh, really fascinating. Can I just ask you to thank Susan for a really, really interesting... <laughs> mm.